Good morning. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us such a wonderful friend in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is so amazing, Lord, to have a God that we can not only call him the divine being, but we can actually call him our friend, my friend. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for your love for us, for your care and compassion on us. I thank you so much for this day. It is your good will and pleasure that you have gathered to gather us in this building. And I pray, let your name be exalted today. And I pray that we may be drawn near to you and we may be edified in our Christian walk as we ponder on the scriptures, as we wrap up the series on Ephesians. Thank you for this privilege for me to speak. And I pray, Father, that your words may bear much fruit in the life of your people. And Lord, uh, for your honor, for your glory. And uh, in his name, the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you so much. It's exact two weeks today since my mom's memorial. And uh, we, myself and my family, have been going through difficult days. But God's been our strength. God's been carrying us through those wonderful truths that you have reminded us through text, cards, emails, and phone calls. So I personally want to say thank you for myself and on behalf of my family. It means a lot to us, and uh, it definitely has reduced our burden as we've been reminded of the glorious truths of heaven. So thank you, brothers and sisters. Thank you to those of you who are listening online. And thank you for your calls and love for me. So may the Lord bless you and reward you, and may we continue to encourage each other about heaven, our real home. So thank you. As it is said that today we are finishing up our series on Ephesians. We learn in our series on Ephesians, the letter is addressed to the church began by Priscilla and Aquila, according to Acts 18.26, and was later firmly established by Paul on his third missionary journey, according to Acts 19. Ephesians church was pastored by Paul for some three years. After Paul left for his missions, young Timothy pastored the congregation. The first three chapters are theologically emphasizing New Testament doctrine, whereas the last three chapters are practical and focus on Christian behavior. Perhaps above all, this is a letter of encouragement and admonition, written to remind God's people of their immeasurable blessings in Jesus Christ. We are not only to be thankful for those blessings, but Paul says also to live in a manner worthy of them. In his book on the brief intro to the Bible, Dr. David Jeremiah sums up the letter of Ephesians in few words, but I think really profoundly as he said, from year to year, depending on the ebb and flow of the global economy, several people vie for the title, the richest person in the world. These people, multi-billionaires, have more money than they can spend, for the earnings and interest on their fortunes exceed all possible expenditure. Yet, the richest person on earth is only heartbeat away from losing everything. 
Dr. David Jeremiah challenges his readers that if you want to know who is really the richest on earth, read the letter to the Ephesians. This Pauline letter catalogs the endless wealth and wondrous riches of God's people. Ephesians tells us about the riches of God's grace, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, his rich mercy, and for our unsearchable riches in Christ. The last three chapters explain how we should live because of these doctrinal truths written by Paul and inspired by the Holy Spirit. In other words, chapter one through three explain why we are rich. And chapter four through six describe how rich people live the lifestyle of those who are spiritually wealthy this includes appreciating the value and unity of Christ's body, the church. What Dr. David Jeremiah is challenging us, that the richest person is not somebody whose bank account is full of money, is the person who is part of Christ's body. That's what Paul is emphasizing. It is for that reason that in the last chapter, Paul reminds believers of the full and sufficient spiritual armor supplied to us through God's word and by his spirit. And of our need for vigilant and persistent prayer. Why I say that it points to our need to pay heed to everything written in this letter? Because many are questioning the biblical authority and really arguing hard to say what is for us today or what does not relate to our time and era. I think it's no surprise to any of us to know that Bible is under attack and has been under attack, but praise be to God that it is the book that has stood the test of the time. It has always had victory because it's an eternal God's word. So in my answer to the question that why everything written in Ephesians is for us, the answer is twofold. Continue looking back at the history. The letter is addressed to the church in the city of Ephesus because the name Ephesus is not mentioned in every early manuscript. Some scholars believe the letter was sent to all the churches intended to be circulated and read among all the churches in Asia Minor and was simply sent first to believers in Ephesus. So the church of Ephesus could not really say that, well, we own this ladder, it's not going anywhere else. No, Paul actually meant for this to be read in other churches. And number two is actually I think close to, to our situation and time, because Paul intended Ephesians to circulate among neighboring churches, everything in the book applies to Christian in any place or time, including you and me. Paul details the spiritual blessings of every Christian. The entire epistle records the blessings we have in heavenly places and the incredible differences those blessings make in our lives each day. And we are very thankful for all the speakers on this series who have worked hard to explain those riches and blessings to us and help congregation to be edified in our role and what we look like as body of Christ. 
So thank you, brothers, for your hard work. As we finish our series on Ephesians today, let me remind us some major truth emphasized, emphasized is that of the, Christ, the church as Christ's present spiritual earthly body. Also a distinct and formally unrevealed truth about God's people. As one author puts it, this metaphor depicts the church not as an organization, but as a living organism composed of mutually related and interdependent parts. Christ is head of the body and the Holy Spirit is its lifeblood as it were. The body functions through the faithful use of its members, various spiritual gifts, sovereignly and uniquely bestowed by the Lord on each believer. In light of these truths, today we will look at our last theme of our Ephesian series, together in prayer, in witness, and in community. So in our text today, as Lena and Brother Alan has read, its theology is direct, simple, and presents no ideas or interpretations whose meaning is seriously contended. There are seven verses of our passage today, and verse 18 to 20 is the bulk where I will be emphasizing. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chain, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This verse introduced the general character of a believer's prayer life. I had often wondered about how, how can I pray without ceasing? How to do that as an early Christian? I was always thinking, how can I do? Like, okay, I know things that I need to bring before the Lord, so I can do them in like maybe half an hour, 40 minutes, an hour, the max. But how do I pray without ceasing? Paul points to various ways believer needs to engage in prayer through this verse. Number one, Paul focuses on the frequency of our prayer life as it is written at all times. It is not just here Holy Spirit has said this, but also in Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And again, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. It's the same formula, it's the same request that Paul is mentioning here at all times. At all times. Number two, Paul is focusing all prayer and supplication focuses on the variety of our prayers. Variety of our prayers. We cannot just bring a list of things before the Lord and once we get through this, like our grocery shopping time, and then we said, okay, I've done my part and now I'm good for the rest of the day or maybe rest of the week. As you know, sometimes it depends on are you going for groceries at IGA or Costco. It, it, it depends in our prayer life as well. 
am I presenting the list of IGA or Costco? And if I presented the Costco list, then I'm good for a few months. Paul is saying no. Paul is saying that all prayer and supplications for, focuses on the variety of our prayers. You know, I, I was challenged by one of my friends, and, and he said, you know, if you want to have a variety, of, prayer, a variety uh, of prayers, you know, and a life that is bringing supplication on behalf of others, you know, pray for the persecuted. He said, you will not run out of names and places. You will intercede on their behalf. And number two, he said, this is a very heavenly prayer as even in Revelation, he said, those people who've been martyred for the namesake of Lord Jesus Christ, they are saying, for how long? For, for how long, O Lord? And Jesus said, a little bit more time. Be patient. So pray for the persecuted. And number three, Paul is saying, in the spirit, focuses on submission to God's will. To be done, not what we want to be done. Often I come to the Lord and, you know, we can have those prayers which are full of, which we think is right, with our human rationale. You see, it's so easy even as a Christian, even as a pastor, to put your rationale before the spiritual things. To, to really depend on our own wisdom and understanding and then really not seek the Lord because God is always work, working mysterious ways. So does God wants us to pray without rationale? No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that in the spirit, in the will of God, many people have a hard time putting this that how can God's will be different than this? Because it perfectly makes sense in my mind. So God's will must be like this as well. For example, the, the time when Jesus was persecuted and he was ready to be hanged on the cross, it made perfect sense even to an unbeliever watching a Jesus movie and, and he would say that this makes perfect sense that God should rescue God, uh, Jesus, because he have no sin in him. So in human rationale, it made perfect sense that why is Jesus going to suffer? But in the spiritual sense, it is absolutely necessary for Jesus Christ to suffer. That's why he could say, even though, Father, not my will, but your will be done. That's what it means to praying in the spirit. It focuses on submission to God's will. As Paul said to the Romans in 8, 26 and 27, likewise, the spirit help us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Jesus himself taught, not my will, but your will be done. Sometimes we are maybe praying for our, our heart. We are sincere. We are, you know, all uh, so dedicated to our prayer. But it's almost like, you know, we can be so sincere and dedicated in our prayer. And, and we, we can say, Lord, I'm going to jump from a three-story building and hope my, I won't break any bones. We can be sincere about this prayer. But do you think that God will answer. Is this is God's will for us, for me to jump from a three-story building and just pray, keep praying that I won't have any broken bones? 
No, that's, that's not right. But God's will for me is to, to take care for this body that God has given me. Don't be foolish. Don't put God to test. So praying in God's will, praying in the spirit is a, is a focus that Paul wants believers to know in Ephesus. And then number four, Paul points, keep alert with all perseverance, focuses on the manner and on the persistent in our prayers. Matthew 26, 41 says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Luke eleven nine, Jesus said, and I tell you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Perseverance. Something very difficult. To wait upon the Lord. Not an easy task. Many people give up so easily in praying. Even sometimes we do that. If we honestly be with ourselves, we give up on prayers as well. I have friends even say, you know, how many times do we have to pray about this thing? I don't know. But here is a, here is a story that I'm reminded by Daily Bread. It's an interesting one that talks about perseverance. So the author says, one of the longest recorded postal delays in history lasted 89 years. In 2008, a homeowner in the UK received an invitation to a party originally mailed in 1919. To a former resident of her address, the note was placed in her mailbox via the Royal Mail but the reason behind its long delay remains a mystery. Even the best human efforts at communication sometimes let us down. But scripture makes clear that God never fails to hear his faithful people. In 1 Kings 18, Elijah demonstrated the striking contrast between the pagan god Baal and Jehovah God in a showdown to demonstrate who the true God was. After Baal's prophets had prayed for hours, Elijah taunted them, shout louder, surely he is God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. That's not just a taunt that Elijah was giving to the, to the worshiper of Baal, but how often even Christians have felt that about God. God, are you there? Do you care? Are you listening? Then Elijah prayed for Jehovah to answer so that his people might return to faith. And God's power was clearly displayed. That's the confidence Elijah had going before God because he was praying in God's will for what? So people may have faith and his name may be exalted. While our prayers may not always be answered as immediately as Elijah's was, we can be assured that God hears them according to Psalm 34, 17. 
The Bible reminds us that he treasures our prayers so much that he keeps them before him in golden bowls. Like precious incense, according to Revelation 5.8. God will answer every prayer in his, in his own perfect wisdom and way. And the Bible teaches us that we can trust that God is good. There are no lost letters in heaven, as James Banks said. Instead, our response should be, Father, how amazing you are to always hear my prayers. I praise you because my prayers are precious to you. Perseverance, persistence. And number five, the last point, according to this list, focuses on the object in this verse, which is for all the saints. One of a great loss in my life is to lose an amazing prayer warrior in my life, in my mother. And since I've been, you know, even here in Canada and, and surely since I've been a pastor here at the tab, you know, I've been in need of lots of prayers. And I will give my mom a prayer request and I would say, mom, pray for me about this. And one of the things that she always corrected me or she wanted to know more was that she says, I cannot only pray for you, but I have to pray for the whole church. I have to pray for all other leaders as well. I have to pray for PTC in general so that your witness may stand strong where you are. She understood that she has to pray for everyone, not just for me. She prayed for this body. She prayed for this church. She prayed for the leadership here. She understood that she has to pray for all the same, not just for her pet armor. Prophet Samuel also mentioned this in his farewell to the nation of Israel in 1 Samuel 12, 23, adding on to Paul's advice. For the Lord will not forsake his people. For his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and the right way. The nation hasn't treated Samuel well, at least not the king and his family. But he said, far be it for me just to pray for the good ones. I'm going to pray for all of you. That's the heart of God for us, to pray for all. Moving on, verse 19 and 20 gives us an amazing insight into Paul's heart for the unsaved and his zeal for the gospel. One author points and said, Notice that Paul does not ask prayer for his personal well-being or physical comfort in the imprisonment, but for boldness and faithfulness to continue proclaiming the mysteries of the gospel to the people around him, no matter what the cost. Paul is a preacher of the gospel, and he knew the importance of prayer in his daily ministry. As Keith has also mentioned to us last Sunday, to add prayer in our, uh, in our armor as well. I think he's right. As John Wesley describes, the power of preacher and prayer. 
Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. And I care not a straw whether they be clergymen or laymen. Such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. God does nothing but in answer to prayer. The Apostle Paul knew the necessity and worth of prayer to their ministry. Prayer is put first, and their relation to prayer is put more strongly, give themselves to it. And also ask others to be praying on their behalf, making it a business of it. Surrendering themselves to praying, putting fervor, urgency, perseverance, and time in it. E.M. Bounds explained Paul's request to the church in a powerful challenge in his book, Power in Prayer, and said, the gospel cannot be projected by a prayerless preacher. As I was preparing this and when I come across this uh, quote, I actually have to leave everything and spend some time in prayer. It's powerful. It's challenging. It hits you right in between the eyes. The gospel cannot be projected by a prayerless preacher. Gifts, talents, education, eloquence, God's call cannot decrease the demand of prayer. But only intensify the necessity for the preacher to pray and to be prayed for. Paul is an illustration of this. If any man could preach the gospel by dint of personal force, by brain power, by culture, by personal grace, by God's apostolic commission, God's extraordinary call, the man was Paul. That the preacher must be a man given to prayer. Paul is an eminent example of this. Paul asks, he covers, he pleads in an impassioned way for the help of all God's people. He knew that in the spiritual realm, which is most of the chapter 6 of Ephesians, famously in the whole New Testament, he knew that in the spiritual realm, as elsewhere, in union there is strength that the concentration and accumulation of faith, desire, and prayer increase the volume of spiritual force until it become overwhelming and irresistible in its power. Some might question Paul's request of prayer as it did lower his dignity, lessen his influence, or reduce his godliness. Note at all, one author explains, what if it did? Let dignity go. Let influence be destroyed. Let his reputation be marred. He must have their prayers. He must have the prayers of his brothers and sisters. Paul's attitude on this request illustrates his humility and his deep insight into the spiritual forces which project the gospel. More than this, it teaches a lesson for all times that if Paul was so dependent on the prayers of God's people to give his ministry success, 
how much greater the necessity that the prayers of God's people be centered on the ministry of today. And we know this from any high caliber God's men in the past, their prayer life, study their prayer life and it's amazing. Spurgeon, Martin Luther, the Wesleyans. And then Paul goes on to talk about his present situation. Paul is an ambassador of Christ in chains and his heart is to spread the gospel. What a commitment. Ambassador, a Greek term often translated elder. Its literal meaning described an older, well-experienced man who served as a representative of a king from one country to another. Paul thus described his role and the role of all believers, including us all, as a messenger representing the King of glory, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is in heaven with the gospel to unbelievers. We are his representative on the earth. As believers present the gospel, God speaks through us to reach unbelieving sinners to come to faith and accept the good news of Jesus Christ which means to repent of their sins and believe on Jesus according to Acts 16.31 and James 4.8. But the first step toward reaching other is to pray for them and then others praying for us so that God's word and his message will be shared clearly and accurately. Paul is sharing the sermon or his messages, his, his message and evangelizing the evangelio, the, the good news to the people who are really questioning because they haven't heard such thing about Christ. He knew that he is fighting not only against flesh and blood, but the principalities in the spiritual realm. That's why Holy Spirit also inspired Paul to remind believers in Corinth According to 2 Corinthians 4, 18, 20, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul is an ambassador of God's word, so are we the ambassador of God's word. Do we believe that? And if we do, then we need to have the same attitude as Paul. We must imitate Paul in asking for prayer requests. I imitate Paul asking you to pray for me more. I need more of your prayers. Leaders need more of prayers. We each other need each other's prayers. It's very important. This is a great ministry that God has given to his people only if we understand the weight of this ministry. Weight not in its negative term, but the weight in its, its, in its need and its necessity in, in doing our Christian work. 
Moving on, verses 21 to 23, Paul is mentioning an amazing brother here, Tychicus. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Encouragement is another thing that we need to do in the church. That's why Paul is telling. He's not just sending this letter of, you know, spiritual things and, and, you know, practical things for us to do, but also so that in present we may be encouragement to each other. So this letter was written by Paul, according to 3.1, during his imprisonment in Rome. Tychicus was a convert from Asia Minor, modern Turkey, who was with the Apostle Paul during his imprisonment. Tychicus was faithful fellow worker with Paul. We learn about Tychicus some amazing things. And I think it will be worth looking at Tychicus' life in a sermon someday. In Acts 24 to 6, we also know that he accompanied Paul in taking an offering to the church in Jerusalem. He had the heart for other people. He was from Asia Minor. He was a different nationality, different color, different accent. But he has the heart for the people in Jerusalem, God's people. He teaches me something that how much I need to pray for Jerusalem, for the peace of Jerusalem, for, for the nation of Israel, that God will bring his people to himself. Tychicus also was sent by him on several missions as mentioned in 2 Timothy 4.12 and as he told, I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. And Titus 3.12 where he says, As soon as I sent Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Neocopolis because I have decided to winter there. Tychicus was a faithful companion of Paul to proclaim the gospel with him and to minister Paul as well. What an amazing fellow worker to have. God blessed Paul with such men. We need to bless each other to have such companions, such kinderness for each other. And then verse 23 and 24. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with the faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus with Christ with an undying love. What an, an amazing and beautiful benediction to end this letter. And also our series on this marvelous note from Paul. This beautiful benediction sums up the truths and the major themes of this very personal letter ending with reminding readers from centuries since it is written to the churches of the peace, love, and faith from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. We at PTC hope our online listeners and church that may the Lord have brought you near to Ephesians and you have understood some things about this letter. So we want to continue to encourage you that keep reading this letter, keep reading all the Bible. It is for us until Christ returns. It is for our benefit it is for the glory of God. It is for the edification of the church. It is for your good that God has given us these scriptures. To him 
be glory forever and ever. Amen.